Back in April when baseball season began for my son Hank, who played at that time in the youth league, and we're still going with some other stuff, it was, it was at those first few practices when I started to throw batting practice and began to hit ground balls, try to demonstrate how to get down in fielding position or squat like a catcher or whatever it may have been, I realized at that point how woefully out of shape I was. Now, some of you have come to that realization before. Mine was not necessarily what I looked like, but how I felt. I just felt lousy. Maybe you've been there. My knees were hurting, and I was out of breath doing the easiest little things, and I thought, this is ridiculous. At the time, I was only 35 years old. I'm now a cool 36, but a little closer to 40 than I was before. But I just thought, Lord, I am way too young for all this. You know what I'm saying? All of you are still way too young for all that. I just thought, I do not want to go down this path. I knew that if I continued my habits, because quite honestly... My appetite was just out of control on that good old seafood diet. You know what I'm talking about. You see food and you just eat it. That's the way it was. I liked that diet. And so I I decided at that point, though, if I did not change my habits, if I did not reorganize things, that I was on the path to really, really poor quality of life in a short amount of time. I just didn't feel good. And so I made the decision, this is killing me. I'm going to do something different about it. And you've probably had things like that before. I just began to, to try to eat a little smarter. And I thought, well, maybe we'll see if it work. Now, I'm still in the process, but, but I've seen some results, and I've tried to make sure to maintain that. I, I finally had to come to the point, though, where I said, this is killing me. And maybe for you, your appetite for certain things, you realize today is just killing you. Maybe it is food, like me. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it made it really difficult when we had some fellowships, and y'all lay out that whole dessert table. I tell folks, now listen, if you want to have some good food, you've got to come down Grove on a fellowship Sunday. And then go look at the dessert table, which just so happens to be on your way out. You can't get out of here without passing the dessert table. Y'all are sneaky like that. It made it really difficult. But maybe it's your appetite for food, and you just say, you know, it's killing me. Or your appetite for stuff. You just like to spend money. I mean, and your credit card bills reflect that you like to spend money you don't even have. Hey, just put it on credit. You see it show up for the next 10 years, you know, as you pay it off. I don't know. Or maybe it's for success or productivity or whatever it is for you. And you, and you just say, boy, those things, if they're uncontrolled, you can see how they will kill you. They'll destroy your life. There is no appetite that is more destructive, I believe, than that of lust. And we're going to look at lust this morning very sensitively, very appropriately. I'll just let you know up front. I'm not going to be crass in any way. But we're going to look at it honestly from the standpoint of our series that we're doing called Family Matters. We know that family does matter and that there are matters in every family that need to be addressed. So what we're doing is looking at the roles and responsibilities of different people within the family. Your family may be the traditional husband, wife, 2.5 children. That may be your family. You may have a broken family, as they historically called it, where you've experienced the tragedy of divorce. And your family is not what you hoped or thought it might once be. You may have a family that's disjointed. Yes, we're all still there, but we're not really on the same page. Whatever your family is, I want to try to address the different aspects and roles of family. We've begun with men. Uh, The Bible makes it very clear that the man is responsible for how the family goes. Now, you may not have a man in your family. And as a result, you by default, ladies, you may be responsible for your family. But I do believe that it's important to address the men, given the fact that God says, men, you're responsible. When God looks at your family, who's he going to look at first? The man. What have you done with your family? And so we've looked at what makes men great. 
And now we're looking at what makes great men fall. Last week we saw that pride makes great men fall. We'll look this week at lust, next week at greed, and then the following week at ignorance. Ignorance of God's Word will make great men fall. And so uh, our focus scripture for this particular set during this series is Deuteronomy chapter 17. So go ahead and get there. Uh, We'll use that as just sort of an idea. Here's, Here's... Here's the the parameters around which God wants great men to to build their lives. And then we'll go somewhere else in just a minute. A little bit about what's going on at this time in Deuteronomy 17. What you'll see, and uh, the the Israelites here in the wilderness. The the wilderness, right before they enter the promised land that God had, had swore to their forefathers, He said, I'll give you this land. And so they're about to enter, and God, through Moses, the great leader of Israel, is giving them some instructions. So uh, I don't believe I put these words on the screen. Unfortunately, I saw Austin there looking for them. I'm not sure. Deuteronomy on there? Good. Let's go ahead and pull that up. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 19 or 20. And, and here's what we'll see. The, the uh, king here, or the, the, uh, Moses rather, is giving some instructions to this future king. When you enter the land, verse 14, the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, live in it, and say, we want to appoint a king over us like all the nations around us. You are to appoint a king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, this is what we saw last week, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way. So we looked at that, that's the pride issue. He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him, and he is to read from it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. Then, verse 20, his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or the left, and he and his sons will continue ruling many years over Israel. So we see here, God knows the folks are going to want a king. He wants this king to be great, and certainly he will be considered great among the people, and God wants him to remain so, so he puts some parameters around what the king is to be. Who is this guy supposed to be? Last week we saw that he's to avoid uh, getting lots of horses. And the idea there is that the king is not to become self-sufficient, dependent upon his military strength for his confidence. He is instead not to be prideful, but to trust in the Lord. And we saw last week the principle is let God steal your show. We all struggle with pride. And men in particular struggle with certain forms of pride. And the idea was let God steal your show. This week, as we focus on lust, the second prohibition that we see in Deuteronomy 17, there in verse 17, is don't, the king is not to take many wives for himself. Now, fellas, some of you are saying one is enough. Why would he want more than that? But he is not to take many wives for himself. The the, the ruling here from God is is that the king, based upon his lust for power and his lust for pleasure, is to remember to submit those to the Lord. The the, the women that he would take, and we'll get into this in just a moment, would be for his power and for his pleasure. So this week, the prohibition is against lust. Now, one king in particular 
unfortunately, did not heed the Lord's instruction. And though he was a great man, he fell. And Humpty Dumpty's fall was great, if you will, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 11. That's where I want you to turn, and we'll see the results of what Solomon did by not listening to the Word of God. So in Deuteronomy 17, we see the prohibition. Long before Solomon is on a scene, don't take lots of wives for yourself. They're going to turn your heart away. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, figures he's got it, doesn't need to listen to the Lord, and we'll see the results. There are three things in particular that I I want you to notice about Solomon's lust for power and his lust for pleasure. Those you'll see on the back of your bulletin. What he does is continue to feed his lusts over and over and over. He lets them take control of his life. He never stops to say, this is killing me. This is not good. And what he does is shows us what happens when our lusts are fed. The first thing I want you to notice, when lusts are fed, they always dehumanize. They always dehumanize. Look in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. So he's already married to Pharaoh's daughter. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations that the Lord had told the Israelites about. And here's what God had said. Do not intermarry with them. And they must not intermarry with you. Because they will turn you away from me to their gods. Solomon was deeply attached to these women and loved them. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Now stop there. The prohibition had been given. Why then would he marry so many women? I believe that what we see in the life of Solomon are two main lusts that are, that are evidenced in his desire to marry all these women. It's the lust for power and the lust for pleasure. Now some during his time would have said he's just a good politician. Because if you realize, a lot of these marriages were politically motivated. He figures if Israel is married in with these other people, there's going to be peace or will gain an advantage. Or maybe he'll solidify his allies in some way. And so some of it is politically motivated. He wants greater power. And, of course, if he can have greater power than all of the others, if he can have more wives than the other kings, then maybe he becomes the top dog. This goes back to his pursuit also of pride. So he has a lust for power that some folks would say, well, that's just good politics. But the problem is that it went against what God had said. In Exodus, just mark this reference, Exodus chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what God has said. Do not make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land. That's what Solomon's doing through marrying these different ladies, is to have a treaty. Do not make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land, or else when they prostitute themselves with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. Then you will take some of their daughters as brides for your sons. Their daughters will prostitute themselves with their gods and cause your sons to prostitute themselves with their gods. The the prohibition is to the Israelite people, don't intermarry with the folks in the land of Canaan. Don't do it. They're going to make sure that you essentially prostitute yourself toward another god. Don't do that. That's not what God wants. Then, as if that weren't enough, and remember, the king was to write down all of this stuff so he would know it. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. As if that were not enough, in 1 Kings chapter 9, 
And if you want to flip there, go ahead. Uh, God appears to Solomon and, and says this. 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1-9. through 9. Words won't be on the screen. You can just write down the reference or turn there quickly. When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. The first time he shows up and he says, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon asks, give me wisdom. And God says, I'll give you more than anybody's ever had and lots of other stuff. So the Lord appears to him a second time just as he had appeared at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple you have, made, you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, now here's the direct instruction to Solomon. As if all the other stuff in the Bible wasn't good enough, God shows up and speaks directly to him. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, with a heart of integrity and in what is right, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised your father David, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So you just do what I've told you to do. You do what's right. You follow the Lord. And God says, I'm going to come through on the promises I've made. I'm going to take care of you. I will solidify you. I'll be what you need. Verse 6 of that same passage. If you or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commands, my statutes I've set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and worship them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them. And I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. Though this temple is now exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will mock. They will say, why did the Lord do this to the land and this temple? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt... They clung to other gods and worshipped and served them. Because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin on them. He shows Solomon, here's what's going to happen. If you pursue your lust for power and for pleasure by marrying all these other women, bad stuff's going to happen. You ever been a parent and told your kids, now listen, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll get ice cream. If not, you're going to get a spanking. And what do they do? They choose the spanking for some ice cream is so much better than the spanking. Why would they choose that? You think, why in the world would Solomon do all of this? Obviously, also breaks God's command in Deuteronomy 17 directly toward the king. Don't take foreign wives. Don't do it. Why would he be so stupid? Why would he do these things? Well, I believe he's just a normal man. Now, guys, I'm not here to beat you up today. I want you to know that. It's a message of redemption, not of guilt and shame. But Solomon shows us how easy it is when our eyes are set on power and pleasure, how easy it is to go after those things. And one of the things that happens when we go after those lusts is that we dehumanize anybody who can provide for us those things. Solomon marries all of these women. Politically motivated, he dehumanizes them. He's just using them for political gain. You probably know somebody who does those sorts of things at work, at school, or wherever. They just use people for whatever they can get out of it. They're just making connections. But this isn't just about politics. <clears throat> because the Bible makes clear here in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon was deeply attached and he loved them. 
using some of the same language that Genesis chapter 2 uses about a man and his wife becoming one flesh and being attached to one another. Some of the same language. So there's also sexual pleasure that Solomon is deriving from these women. What happens, though, is they become objects to him. He dehumanizes them. Maybe he looks around at the Israelite women and their modesty, and they're following the Lord, and he says, they're just too plain. There's nothing really exciting about them. And guys, make no mistake, whether you're young, old, married, or not married, there will always be a woman more exciting than the one you've already got. Make no mistake. There will always be a woman more alluring than the one you have. Solomon looks around at the women that God had permitted him to have. You may, guys, if you're married, you may look at your wife and say, she's not the woman that I married. She doesn't look the same. She doesn't act the same. Her body's not the same. Solomon looks around and says, I'm not satisfied with what God has given me. I'm going to go pursue someone else. Make no mistake. You will always have opportunity for that. You will always, always, always. Guys, don't, don't, don't be stupid. Don't think it can't happen to you. If it could happen to Solomon, the greatest man that the Bible ever knew as far as wisdom and wealth, if it can happen to him, it can happen to any of us. There's always going to be somebody more alluring. Now, ladies, don't let that freak you out. And I mean that sincerely. You don't have to go and do lots of crazy things to make your man love you. You just keep being the woman God has called you to be. You keep pleasing God. And if your husband decides to run out on you, and he'll answer to God for that. That's not a threat to him, not a threat to you. I just mean, you, ladies, you keep being the woman God has called you to be. Don't you change for a second. There will always be somebody more alluring, though, guys, and you've got to be careful. Solomon looks around, I'm not content with these women God has allowed me to have. I'm going somewhere else. And what does he do? He objectifies them simply for his pleasure. They just became objects for him. The same temptation is there today. For us guys to use and just discard people or women in particular, whether it's in person or through images that we see, is to use them and discard them, to objectify them. Maybe we, we, we just tell them whatever they want to hear. Now, if you're a young lady, you're an unmarried woman here, let me tell you, be very careful with this. Guys will tell you what they need to tell you. Now, I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. They will tell you what they need to tell you to receive from you whatever they desire to receive. Whether that's approval, whether that's your attraction, whatever it may be, whether it's sexual in nature or not, they will tell you what they need to tell you. Their sinful nature will so desire those things from you that they will say those three little words, I love you. They don't so much mean it. But they just simply want what you have to offer them. Be very careful. You know what a guy will do if he truly loves you? He'll prepare you for your husband. He will make sure you're protected and that you are preserved for whomever your husband will be. If you're an unmarried lady here today, make no mistake, if the guy loves you, that's what he'll do. And I'm not making stuff up. When I was a youth pastor, I told all of the kids the same thing. He will make sure that you are the woman you need to be on your wedding day, not who he wants you to be right then. If he loves you, that's what he'll do. Guys will say anything they, they need to say. They'll be blinded by their appetites. Uh, people, and maybe especially women, no longer real. You see Solomon here just using these women for political gain, for his own pleasure. 
And he ignores the fact these women are created in the object, or the image rather, of God. And he treats them as we can do as well, just as an object to be consumed and used indirectly or directly. Lust always dehumanizes. Do you see that? Just going to use somebody for whatever they can give you, whether it's power or pleasure. Guys, understand that when we give in to our lust, when they are fed, that's what's happening. We're not seeing that person at work as now a co-worker, but simply as a means to our gain. We're not seeing that woman, whether it's in person or on the internet or wherever, as a creation of God. We're just seeing her as something to be consumed for our own pleasure. It always dehumanizes. Secondly, when lusts are fed, they always devolve. They devolve. Look at the end of verse 3 here in 1 Kings 11. After he has all of these wives and princesses and concubines, they turned his heart away from the Lord. Now, watch the steps here that Solomon takes. When Solomon was old, now guys, if you're old, none of you claim to be, but you know, if you are, you look in the mirror and say, I'm older, it can happen to you as well. His wives seduced him to follow other gods. That's the summary of what happens. His heart was not completely with the Lord his God, as his father David's heart had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. So he just slowly but surely, his heart begins to take steps away from the Lord. He begins to worship these other gods. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not completely follow the Lord. His heart slowly but surely slipping away, devolving. Verse 7, At that time Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites, on the hill across from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the holy place of God, where the temple of God was built. And right across from it, you see the devolution. He just slowly but surely... He goes and takes steps away from God to the point where he builds a temple, a high place for these other gods. He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. Solomon, slowly but surely. I mean, this is the king of Israel. How in the world did he slip into absolute idolatry and godlessness? Let me tell you this. It was one step at a time. Solomon did not wake up one morning. And so, you know, today I think I'm just going to abandon God. You know, he really hadn't done anything for me. I mean, he, you know, he gave me wisdom like nobody's ever had. He made me the richest man in the world. But really, other than that, what has God done? I really don't have any use for him, so I'm, I'm moving on. He didn't do that. He just took one step at a time to where he no longer served the Lord. He no longer took God seriously. He he no longer cared about the consequences of his sin, and he got further and further away from the Lord, became indifferent to his faith, tolerant of his sin, and intrigued by these false religions. Just one step at a time. And one step at a time is how lust in your life will devolve as well. Your heart may be drawn to power, and so in order to increase it, you start bending the rules just a tad. Some things that you would have never done before ethically, you say, well, that's just, that's just doing business. I mean, that's just what I have to do. 
maybe for your desire for power, you begin to resent or even neglect your family because they're holding you back from who you could really be in this line of work. If they would just get out of your way, if they wouldn't demand so much time, if your kids would just leave you alone, if your wife would just take care of the kids more, whatever it may be, then you could really be who you are and you begin to devolve into thinking that power is really what will satisfy you. You're no longer caring for people at work and and who work for you and who you work for. You're just, you're working them to see what you can get. We're all susceptible to that. Power that you're experiencing is exhilarating. (laughs) It's feeding you. It's nothing you've ever experienced before. It makes you feel important and you love it and you want more of it. Maybe it's power, but maybe for you it's pleasure. And particularly, fellas, talking about sexual pleasure. There's a great book, and, and I've put a link on our online sermon notes if you'd like to, to check it out. There's a book, and it's very scientific and, and maybe a little bit thick to kind of get through in parts. But I would encourage you guys, if you want to know what happens to your brain when you view images that are sexual in nature, read the book called uh, Wired for Intimacy. The subtitle being How Pornography Hijacks the Male Brain. It's by a guy named William Struthers. It's called Wired for Intimacy. Here's what he says as a result of his study of the brain. The more you ponder, the more you view sexual images, the more your brain learns to process those things very quickly the next time you see them. In fact, what he says is that the more those things are viewed and the more they're in front of you, they actually cut neurological trenches in your brain through which now every interaction you have with women, whether it's on a screen or in person, is channeled directly to a desire for a sexual encounter. Now that sounds crazy, but it's true. This guy is a scientist and he researched it. It cuts trenches. So maybe you wonder, why can't I get those things out of my mind? Why, when I look at any woman at all, does that immediately where my mind goes? It's because you've trained your mind to do that. That's exactly what's happened. This desire devolves, this lust devolves to where your brain is now rewired. And you see, you begin to see every woman as some object. Potentially, what could she or what is she doing for you? It becomes a, a habit, much like a drug that you're addicted to. It devolves also to include the law of diminishing returns. You ever heard about that? Think back, if you will, to when you were, let's say, early to mid-adolescence. And that person that you just so wanted to be with finally notices you. And, and for the very first time, maybe you got to hold their hand. heart's just beating like crazy. I mean, you just, you know, bells and whistles going off. I mean, the angels are singing somewhere in heaven. You got to know that. I mean, it's just, oh, it's, it's just amazing. You know what happens the next time you hold hands? None of that. Ah, big deal. So then you have that first kiss with them. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you just about pass out. Your knees are weak. You can't even stand up after it's over. And you know, after a while... Ah, big deal. I used to tell teenagers all the time, the law of diminishing returns is true. It always will take more the next time to get you going like it did the time before. And fellows, make no mistake about it. When we get caught up in our lust for pleasure, when we get caught up in our, in our lust for sexual fulfillment, it will always take more the next time. It evolves, it spirals downward. This lust also devolves to where now the Holy Spirit's work in your life is impaired. And you begin to feel trapped. 
And you seem to have no freedom over what you think, what you pursue, and what you do. You begin to rationalize. Eh, not a big deal. You begin to minimize. Well, that's just once or twice. You begin to normalize. It's just part of society. You begin to justify, well, I was stressed and I was tired. I had a right to this. And now your God-given desires are a twisted, sinful mess. You're in a cycle of desire, pursuit, action, and in guilt. And then emptiness, and then back again. Maybe you're caught in that cycle. It devolves always, our lusts will. And thirdly, when lusts are, are fed, they always destroy. They always destroy. Uh, in verse 9 of chapter 11 there in 1 Kings, we see this. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. And then the Lord said to Solomon, Since you have done this and not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it during your lifetime because of your father. I will tear it out of your son's hand, yet I will not tear out the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son because of my servant David and because of Jerusalem that I chose. Look at verse 14. So the Lord raised up Hadad, the Edomite, as an enemy against Solomon. God had told him, it's going to destroy you if you do this. It's going to lead you down a path that eventually you'll come to ruin. And Solomon, you did it anyway. Lust, when they are fed, will always, always destroy. Uncontrolled lust will destroy you. It'll steal your heart. It'll steal your mind. It'll steal your strength, even. It'll steal the trust of those people around you. You know your co-workers won't trust you anymore if all you want is power? You're just using them. They know it. You, you just, you, you're just talking to them so that maybe they'll say something to somebody who can do something for you. You're just using them. They know it. Your friends know it. They're not really friends with you. They're just there for your approval and for your manipulation. It'll steal the trust of your spouse, guys. She won't trust you anymore. She won't believe you. And say, no, no, that's not what I was doing. Sure. I don't believe you. It'll steal your credibility with your kids. How can you say to them, don't do this, when that's exactly what you're doing on a regular basis? I'm not talking about one-time sin, guys. I'm talking about the pattern in your life. Lust will never, ever meet your needs like you want or think. It'll never deliver on its promises. And it won't help you with what you really need. It's just a, a bad drug that doesn't work and leaves you worse off. What do you do then? You see, I, I, this is dehumanizing everything about me and the people around me. It's devolving. I'm stuck in a pattern that keeps getting worse. I'm trapped. And it's destroying my life. What do you do? Last week I told you, let God steal your show just as a, as a way for you to keep something in your mind. I just want to give you one statement this week, and then I'll show you, I think, how that can work in your life as you fight this daily war. But the statement that I hope will resonate in, in your mind is, is simply this. Starve your lusts before they eat you alive. Starve your lusts before they eat you alive. I, I think today, guys, it's time for many of us to stop right in our tracks and to say, this is killing me. I, you know, I, and honestly, I'm so tired of it, I don't care if the person next to me knows... 
this is killing me. I got to get some help. I need the Lord's intervention in my life. I need somebody to pray for me. Maybe it's time to make tough decisions today. To choose your lusts or your job. Your lusts or your marriage. Your lusts or your kids. And as we see in Solomon, your lusts or God. It's time to stop in our tracks and say, this is killing me. And I, I, today, I, I've got to make some decisions, not only this morning, but this week. And every temptation I face, I'm coming face to face with the fact this stuff is eating me alive and I've got to starve it. It is time to stop. Now, how do you do that on a daily basis? Let me give you just a few things and we'll close. This daily war against lust. First, I think it goes back to the opposite of dehumanizing people, and that is to see people as God sees them. See people as God sees them, as creations of God, loved by Him, for His pleasure and not yours, for His purposes and not yours, as people worthy of respect and dignity, of greater value than you can even imagine, and to see that a violation of them is a violation of their Creator, God Himself. To see them as a person to whom you have no rights to or over. And so guys, this week, you're going to be tempted. That's the great news, isn't it? This battle ain't going to end just because you heard a message on lust. Satan, in fact, will probably attack you even more. He'll come after you even harder. This week, you're going to be tempted either in the area of power or pleasure, just like Solomon. And one of the things you can do is to remind yourself every time that comes at work to say, no, this person is not the means to my corporate ladder uh, upward mobility. This person is loved by God, and I will love them as Jesus loves them, regardless of whether it costs me that promotion or not. I'm not going to use them anymore. I'm not going to do that. This person needs the Lord just like I do, and I will extend grace to them. I will love them. I will do something tangible even. And when you're tempted sexually for pleasure... To remind yourself that a violation of that woman, whether she's in person or on a screen, is a violation of her Creator, God Himself. I will not violate God. And to say, you know what? I have no rights to her or over her anyway. She's not my wife. Maybe you'd remind yourself to see people the way that God sees them. And secondly, to retrain your brain. In this daily war, retrain your brain. You remember that, that quote from the book about how it cuts neurological channels? I want to encourage you, as the guy says toward the end, you can now cut new channels into your brain. Romans chapter 12 tells us that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I believe that's not just what we think about, but even physiologically. To renew our mind, to replace those old habits and old channels with new ones. You know what that means? Some new patterns, some new routines. That means no more innocent flirting. That means no hidden motives or working people anymore. That simply means to recognize your work as a danger zone for your desire for pleasure and your desire for power. That means maybe downloading some internet filtering or internet monitoring software or giving your spouse all the passwords to everything that you do online. That may mean that you just simply fill your mind with Scripture this week. You want to see how, how stuff like this can bring you down? Just check out Proverbs chapters 5 through 7. Read them every day. The man was out. He saw some temptation. He went to the tempter, and it pierced his soul. Cut him down. Three chapters on that. The Bible also tells us to simply run from temptation. 
Flee sexual immorality, the Bible says, even if it costs you. Maybe you'd create a written code of ethics and you say, this is what I'll review every single day. This is who I'm going to be and how I will operate. And I'm going to review it. I'll put those things in my mind. Or maybe you'd recognize the triggers. Every guy has them. It's that place you drive by, that person you see at work, whomever it may be, whatever it may be, that free time, that downtime that you have. And you'd say, I'm going to recognize the trigger that leads me into my lust for power or for for pleasure. And now I'm just simply going to reorganize my life and my day to avoid it. And that may mean some serious reorganization. But let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Not only retrain your brain, but a third one is to confess... Repent and repeat. Sort of like on a shampoo bottle. Lather, rinse, repeat. You know, if you followed that, you'd never stop washing your hair. You realize that, don't you? Repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Okay. I really do mean don't stop. In confess, repent, and then repeat. You realize that if today you came to the point where you confess to the Lord, maybe to the folks you've hurt, I have messed up, I have sinned, and I need your forgiveness. I will repent, which means I am turning around, going a different direction, evidenced by a change in my mind toward what that is, and evidence to my new patterns and procedures. You realize that even if you do that, you're still going to sin? You still will. Now, I hate that. I wish I could tell you that, that one day you'll just arrive at perfection, but you're going to have to die for that to happen. So it's not an option for us this side of heaven. So that's why the repeat is there. To confess your sin, to repent each time, and to repeat it when you fall again. These are the steps to freedom. These are the steps to freedom. There's no more denial. There's brokenness. There's no more rationalizing or minimizing or, or, or normalizing of this or justifying it. You see, you see it for what it is. It's sin. You live with the consequences, and there certainly will be, but you're striving to mend what you've damaged. And you cling to the verse in 1 John that says, when we confess our sins, God is always faithful, and He's righteous enough, the only one who can, to forgive us, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. This message is not one of guilt and shame, but one of redemption and one of freedom. Because freedom and forgiveness and new life are possible because of Jesus. It can't be accomplished on your own. Just trying harder isn't going to cut it. You've been doing that. Just feeling guilty about it isn't going to cut it. Just heaping shame and calling yourself an idiot for doing those things isn't going to cut it. Jesus is the only cycle breaker who can bust through all that stuff. The only one who can do it. Your failure is overcome by His perfection on this earth. Your sin is overcome by His death on the cross. And your old life, the Bible says, is forever dead because of His resurrection and offer of new life to you. I think the final thing that really sums it all up is to trust God to meet your deepest needs. Trust God to meet your deepest needs. Now, don't pack up just yet. Every man here has some deep, deep needs given to you by God Himself. You need not be ashamed of those needs. You have the need for intimacy, emotionally and physically. You have the need to feel of value and of significance and to have purpose in your life. Those are God-given needs. But I want to challenge you this morning to recognize which of those you're trying to have filled outside of God's plan for you. 
outside of, of, of who God says you are to be in the Scripture. Know who you are today and what you struggle with. And then submit it all to the Lord. Ask Jesus to redeem all of it. And to be all that you need. Guys, before we close, I, I want you to, to imagine something for just a second. I want you to imagine yourself free. Out of the cycle. And I, I mean that. Imagine yourself free from this destructive cycle. Your lust for power and pleasure no longer in control, no longer driving you. Your brain rewired to now think the way that God designed it to think. Your marriage restored. Your co-workers trusting you again. Your credibility with your children renewed. Those sinful patterns broken. Imagine that for just a second. Imagine yourself free. No longer hiding anything. Covering it up. Begins with faith in Jesus Christ. The only one who can set you free. Maybe today you say, you know what? Lord, today I die. And I want you to live in me. Take it all. Control me. Maybe today you'd come to the end of yourself realizing all you've done is destroy your life anyway. Isn't that true of all of us? That's what we do. And He let Jesus overcome all of that with His love and His grace. We're going to close the service this morning in just a few minutes with a song that we'll sing. God's grace is greater than all our sin. I really want you to understand that. No matter how far you have fallen this morning, you're not beyond the love and grace of God. It is always greater than our sin. And He always stands ready to forgive and to renew and to cleanse. But before we do that, last week I invited all of our men to come down front and to kneel and pray. I'd like to do something that may make a few of you feel uncomfortable, and I don't mean it to. In just a moment, I'm going to ask every man that's here, young man, old man, everybody in between, married, single, whatever it may be, I'm going to ask every man to stand here in just a moment. And here's what may make some of you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to ask our ladies who will be seated to then stand with those men. And I'm going to ask you to place a hand on their shoulder, a sign of love and support, and just say, we are here for you. We are in this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Ladies, I know that some of you struggle with lust as well. And I realize this maybe is a message you say, what do I do about this? But this morning, I want us to support the men that are here. This is a battle from Satan himself to absolutely destroy Christian men and destroy their families. It is an onslaught from him. And ladies, we need your prayer and support. And I sincerely mean that. So what we'll do in just a moment, I'll have the guys stand. I want the ladies to gather around. You may be here with your spouse or with a son or with a grandson or with a, a friend, a neighbor, a cousin, whomever. You may just be sitting next to somebody and I don't even know who that is. That's okay. I just want you to stand, and ladies, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray for them. You whisper a prayer, you can pray it out loud, I don't care how you pray. That may make some of you feel uncomfortable. I honestly think it's worth it. If ladies didn't pray, guys, we'd all be in trouble. Amen? And so I want our ladies to pray for our guys this morning. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to close that time in prayer. Danny and Randy will come and they'll lead us in a closing song. And at that time, fellas, let me tell you this. This altar will be open. If you need to get on your face before God, by yourself or with somebody else, that'll be the time. You need somebody to pray for you. A couple of our deacons will be down here. Or you come with somebody and say, please pray for me. I'm struggling. My lust for power or my lust for pleasure is taking over my life.
So let's do this. Fellas, all of you, I'd like for you to stand with me, all our guys. You don't have to give a speech. You don't have to tell anybody I'm struggling with this. I'm not struggling with that. I don't care. Nothing at all. Now, ladies, you may be here with one of these guys, or you may just say, you know what, I'm sitting close. I'm going to go stand with that man or that young man. So, ladies, if you would, place your hand on his shoulder. You can stand with them. Put your arm around them. However it is that you can support them this morning. And Danny's going to play softly, and and I'm just going to give you about a minute or so. And, ladies, I want you to pray for those guys that you're around. I want to make sure, so ladies, look around. Make sure there's no man standing alone this morning. So look around. If, if there's a man standing who does not have a hand on his shoulder, ladies, you're going to have to move. All right, so turn around and look. Let's make sure. I want to make sure every guy, every guy here, all right? I don't care if you know him or don't know him. Again, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. As a church, we're going to support one another. As Danny plays, you take about a minute or so, and I just want you to pray for those men that are around you. And then I'll close this time in prayer. We'll sing a song. The invitation will be there for guys if you need to come and pray. Take a moment, ladies, and pray for those men. today in your presence. We know this isn't just a man issue, but God, we know that Satan is on an all-out attack against men. And he doesn't care if we're Christians. He doesn't care if we're married. He doesn't care how long we've been married. He doesn't care if we're dads. He doesn't care if we're young or if we're old. He just wants to destroy us. So, Lord, we stand today in solidarity as brothers and sisters in Christ, counting on You as the cycle breaker. I thank You for these women who have stood so courageously this morning to pray for the men around them. And God, I I pray, Lord, that each and every day this week they'll repeat that same process. Lord, I pray for the men who are standing, who face this battle for, for their lusts, that gets out of control in their lust for pleasure, their lust for power. God, I pray this week and beginning this morning that You'd set them free. We thank You, Lord, that Your grace is always greater than our sin. No matter how far we have fallen, You can rescue us. You've promised to do so when we confess, when we repent as we believe in You. Lord, change us, set us free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.